seated, um, we want to stay in a, an attitude of prayer. I'm going to invite Joan Steyer to come to the front, and I'm going to invite Christy to come as well. We believe at Restoration Church that every person who worships regularly with us or who feels like this is the church God has called you to be a part of, we believe that you're a member of this body. Um, we don't believe we get to choose who the members are. We believe God chooses the members, and we call all of you members. But we also believe we serve a God that loves formalized covenant. And so at Restoration Church, we have a partnership covenant for people who want to maybe take that a step farther and want to enter into a commitment, uh, if you will, of mutual submission, uh, commitment of time, energy, uh, money, everything that we have in a, a sense of coming together to build the kingdom of God together. And so Joan has gone through our partnership class and she has chosen, maybe you all need to come closer to me, sorry. We want to make sure you're on the camera. And so um, we wanted you to see her and know who she is. And uh, we're just excited for God bringing her here because the Bible says God fits the body together perfectly. And he has brought her here for such a time as this because we need her and she needs us. And she's recognized that and said, hey, I want to enter into this covenant with you. And so we're going to pray together and we want to invite you to pray with us where you are. You can stretch out your hand or you can just uh, pray however you feel led today. And so, Father, I just thank you for Joan. God, I thank you for the gifts, the abilities that you've placed in her. God, I thank you for the heart of a servant that you have given to her. And God, I pray that as we enter into a new commitment together, God, of formalized commitment, a covenant together, God, to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and in our city. God, I pray that you would give her wisdom. I pray that you would give her grace, God, to see how she fits in this body. God, to see how you have uniquely gifted and designed her to be in this body for such a time as this. God, I pray that you would bring people around her that will support her, God, that will challenge her. God, that at times would not even be afraid to rebuke. God, we ask for a sense of love. God, a sense of unity, of peace, of joy to grow in our hearts together. And so, God, thank you for what you're doing. God, we know that even when we don't see it, you're working. And you had this day in mind for all of us long before it was ever on our radar. And so thank you for what you're doing. God, we just say continue to do it and help all of us to continue to partner with you in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Very nice. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We are going to offer um, another partnership class a little bit later in the winter, maybe in January or February. So if you have not been a part of that and want to be a part of it, um, we'll get that announcement out to you. It's uh, a Saturday morning for a couple hours. We just try to introduce ourselves as a church and talk about who we are. Uh, we actually answer the who, what, where, why, when, and how of Restoration Church because we want you to enter into a covenant knowing full well who we are. And we ask you to introduce yourself to us. We want to know your salvation story. We want to know how God brought you here. And uh, I love hearing all of those stories. I wish all of you could hear all of those stories all the time, but... Um, We'll have to get better at finding a way to do that. So um, we are in the middle of a series that we are, we've called um, The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's based on a book 
by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. And in essence, it's a book about spiritual disciplines. There are copies of the book in the back. There are reading guides for those of you that want to participate with us. And uh, we have been going through the, the introductory introductory chapters over the last few weeks, chapters 1, 2, and 3, which talk about what God has made available through the death and burial and, and resurrection of Jesus. He has basically brought hope, the hope of transformation. He's brought us back into his kingdom, the original design that he had for humans when he put us on the earth and said, be fruitful and multiply and basically spread my kingdom everywhere. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden, and that's what he's done again. And spiritual disciplines, sometimes we look at them as ways to earn our favor with God or ways to be a good Christian, and yet the spiritual disciplines are actually just a training for how we should live out the life we've already been given in Christ Jesus. They don't give us the new life, they help us apply the new life. And so the illustration we used last week was learning to run a marathon, and uh, all of that is available um, on our podcast, the YouTube channel, or our Facebook page if you want to go back to any of those. But today, we are moving into our first discipline, our first one. And for the month of November, this is the discipline as a church that we want to focus on. And today is called the practice of celebration. If you're like me, you didn't grow up when you talked about spiritual disciplines in Sunday school or in church or in children's church or in any sermon you ever heard. This was never one I was taught as a spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines were prayer. They were fasting. They were Bible reading. They were even confession. Uh, lots of spiritual disciplines. But no one ever told me celebration was a spiritual discipline. And yet over the last couple years, um, as I've studied like the Jewish hermeneutic, trying to understand the Bible as a complete story, over and over again, the practice of celebration or the discipline of celebration kept being brought up in different things I would read or hear um, in a podcast. And I'm like, what is this discipline of celebration? And I'm learning a lot about the discipline of celebration. One, that I actually need to practice it better than I do. And two, that it is actually a God-ordained discipline. I believe God commands and ordains the party. I don't know. I grew up being taught that like parties were like, I mean, they could be sinful, but they weren't like spiritual. But I think they are. I think the Bible shows us that. And I know for some... The pushback right away is, well, we live in a fallen world, Pastor Tom. Well, you're right, and we have since Genesis chapter 3. But later in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, when God gives the Israelites, his people, the people that he wants to restore his original plan through, he gives them six feasts that they're supposed to commemorate throughout the year. And did you know that five of the six are celebratory? Drink wine, eat food, have a party. One of them, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, includes fasting and solitude and confession. And please don't misunderstand me. Um, I am not saying that fasting and solitude and confession don't have their place. 
I just think that we have lost sight of where celebration belongs in the body of Christ. If you go into Leviticus 23 and 24 and Numbers 28 and 29, you can look at the feasts and all of the feasts and what they were and how to celebrate them. Um, that's not our, our point for today. Um, but those are where you'll find them. So Leviticus and Numbers, you'll find all six feasts, five of them being good. Even the weekly Sabbath celebration, Sabbath celebration, it's not supposed to be a chore to celebrate the Sabbath. It's actually supposed to bring life to us. I've never really thought of it that way, and I'm beginning to shift in my thinking. If you look at Jesus' first miracle that's ever recorded in Scripture, John chapter 2, where does it take place? A wedding. A long wedding. Days long celebratory. And the problem was they ran out of wine. And Jesus comes along and his mom is like, Jesus, <laughs> they're out of wine. And he's like, woman, why are you troubling me? My time is not yet. And somehow, I don't get it. Somehow, before his time, his mother has enough pull with the Son of God to get him to turn water into wine so that the feast can continue. In some way, Jesus ordains the party. It's like he's like, this is good. It's good for us to celebrate. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's a very familiar scripture where, you know, sin enters the world, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, and God is handing out, like, the outcome or the, um, I hate to say the punishment, it's just the natural result of their choice. And he comes to verse 15, and he's talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Church, the serpent's head has been crushed. It's like already done. I mean, I know the fullness of Jesus' victory is still coming, but it is secure and it is accomplished. And I know that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour and we should be aware of him, but the Spirit of God Almighty lives within us. And sometimes I wonder if the church is paying more attention to heel strikes and not enough attention to the head crushing. It's already done. And we can celebrate even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of tragedy, because the, the head has already been crushed. And that's why we can celebrate. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket. God is redeeming it. He's already started the process, and that's what's happening. A lot of times in our individual lives, we have a hard time celebrating because we spend too much time wishing for a preferred future. Meaning, if only I could graduate, then I would have joy. If only I could get married, then I would have joy. If only I could have kids, then I would have joy. If only I could have a different job. If only the kids were out of diapers. If only I could retire. If only, if only, if only. And we don't spend enough time just celebrating today. Living in the present. Being satisfied with the present. Being blessed by our present. 
In Philippians 4.11, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content. That word content doesn't mean just, you know, well, I'm content. It means to be satisfied. It means to be blessed. It means to be at peace. It means to be at ease. It means to recognize I am in a perfect state. No matter my circumstances. That's what Paul says. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of decay, in the midst of the death, in the midst of all of it, we can celebrate the goodness of God. And that's what the discipline of celebration is about. It's about recognizing the goodness of God in creation. It's about recognizing the goodness of God in the image bearers he has made. Not just the perfect image bearers, (laughs) because there aren't any. In all image bearers, it's celebrating goodness even when there's a lot of yuck that we could point out, that we could focus on, that we could meditate on, that we could really carry around. I don't know, I've, I've alluded to this series before, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but The Chosen, the, the episodes that are out, one of the things I love about it is it puts Jesus in a more human picture than most of us are comfortable with. Most of us have not come to grips with the humanity of Jesus. With the fact that as the Son of God, He was on earth and He was having a good time. He enjoyed His disciples. I know at times He threw up His hands and was like, do I always have to have to put up with you? I mean, how many of us as parents have ever thrown up our hands and been like, kids, how long do I have to tell, how many times do I have to tell you? How long do I have to put up with you? But that doesn't diminish the joy that they bring to our lives. Jesus had a good time. I can imagine him being sarcastic with his disciples. Not in the very cutting, put-down kind of way that our culture has become accustomed to, but in a jovial type of way. I mean, imagine Jesus dancing at the wedding where he turned the water into wine. Because he probably would have. I know. I just can't do it. But some of us, we put Jesus in this place that, and we just lose sight of the fact that God is the most joyful being in the entire universe. He is joy. And I know that his heart breaks over sin. But in the midst of it, God celebrates what is good. Jesus, while he's speaking to his disciples, and he's talking to them about the importance of obeying him, takes a sudden turn in John 15, verse 11, and he says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Is the church today known for joy? I mean, I know God is love. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love. But God is also joy. He rejoices. He dances over us with singing. He celebrates. Oh, how could he celebrate me? I'm not perfect. He knows. That's why Jesus died, because you'll never be perfect on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity. Jesus has become your perfection. So even on your best day, when you've gotten most things right, you're no better off than on your worst day. You still need Jesus. You still need his sacrifice. And that's why we celebrate, because he gave it. 
In Philippians 4, verse 4, it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Joy in the scripture is expected. It's commanded. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It should be very evident in our lives. People should be like, what is wrong with you? How can you have so much joy? If people aren't asking us that, we've got to celebrate more. Mm -hmm. In the book, John Ertberg says it this way. Joylessness is a serious sin. I didn't say it, he did. So if you disagree, call him. One that religious people are particularly prone to indulge in. It may be the sin most readily tolerated by the church. It is rarely the object of church discipline. Yet how much damage have joyless Christians done to the cause of Christ? How often have people misunderstood God because they attributed to Him the grim, judgmental, defensive, soul-wearying spirit of many who claim to be His followers? There is a being in the universe who wants you to live in sorrow, but it is not God. Francis de Sales wrote, The evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Hence, he desires that everyone should be like himself. See, I'm convinced that there will always be something to grumble and complain about. There will always be something in the lives of the people around us to focus on that's not right yet. There will always be that. And yet in the midst of it, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling and complaining so that no one can criticize you. Shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What makes us shine like stars again? Is it that we don't smoke and drink and chew? Is it that we don't swear? Is it that we don't watch dirty things? No, it's that we do everything without grumbling and complaining. It's that we live as if the universe has been set right even though we can't see it yet. It's as if we live like that the serpent's head has already been crushed. Even as we fight for the heel striking to stop. We should never stop fighting against the injustices in our world. But people, he brings out in the, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, I gotta stop. Boof! We, <laughs> we cannot continue to live pointing out everyone's flaws and everyone's mistakes and being afraid to admit our own. We live in a culture that is prone to negativity and with sin to cynicism. And we will always have that around us. But we can choose joy. We can choose joy. In the book of Nehemiah, the people of Israel have come back from captivity, some of them, and they have rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt the walls, or they're rebuilding the walls and the temple, and they're getting everything put back right. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, they all gather around to hear Ezra read the law to them. Okay, so he's reading the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's reading it to them. He's reading it, the Bible says, and he's explaining it to them so that all the people will understand it. Okay, they've come out of captivity, uh, captivity that was a result of their neglect of the word, and they're hearing Ezra read to them what they've neglected, basically. And then in chapter 8, verse 9, 
It says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Now, we don't know what the word holy means. Holy just means set apart, totally different, and like unlike nothing else. Like We think of holy as a certain list of attributes, but holy just means like totally set apart, totally different. So when God is holy, he's totally set apart. Now, morality is a part of that, but it's more than that. Okay, Joy is a part of God's holiness. Love is a part of God's holiness. Every part of God is a part of his holiness because he's set apart. That's what holiness means. Today is a day that's holy to the Lord. So do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. I mean, praise God, they're hearing the law read and they're weeping because they, they didn't keep it. And Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people. <laughs> I mean, they were in such weeping and grieving that they had to be calmed. Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. See, when we think of a holy day, we think of grieving. We think of prayer. We think of quiet and solemn. And yet they're using the word holy day to also mean a day of celebration and feasting. So they, all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been named known to them. What words? Well, this was the first day of the seventh month. Why is that important? Because it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a, excuse me, it's the Feast of Trumpets. So they're supposed to celebrate. I mean, I know you've broken God's law. I know we went into captivity. There'll be time for mourning and weeping and grieving later, but not today. Because today is a holy day. Today is a day that is set apart to God as a day that we feast and we celebrate the goodness of God that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of knowing that we were going to reject Him and He would have to send us into captivity and bring us back, He already knew it. And He already had it in mind. And that's why we celebrate. We don't celebrate because we're good. We celebrate because he's good. And then they come back on the second day. And they read about the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they start building booths. And they celebrate for eight days. And for some reason, they skip the Day of Atonement, which is supposed to be on the tenth day in the middle of these two feasts. And that's a day of mourning and fasting. I don't understand it either. I don't know why they didn't do it. Maybe it was because the temple wasn't fully rebuilt yet and they couldn't offer the right sacrifices yet. I don't know. But they went right into the booths and they did another celebration. But on the 24th day, if you keep reading in the chapter, they start to put on sackcloth and they start to fast and they start to confess their sins. See, it's not about always celebrating and always feasting. It's just about making sure we're not always fasting and mourning and weeping and grieving that we can still celebrate the goodness of God in the midst of everything. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And sometimes you don't need to call a prayer meeting. Sometimes you need to throw a party. I said it out loud, and I still don't know what to do with it. 
And so I know that there are some of you that are really struggling, but I'm in your boat. But I believe what God's word says. And I believe there's a time to call a party. And we're going to talk about the other disciplines. We're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about confessing. But for some reason, John started with this one. And so that's what we're starting with. And praise God, it's November. I mean, this is the time that we all put on Facebook every day something we're thankful for. But I want us to go deeper than that. I want us to go deeper than just coming up with things that we're thankful for. I want us to really dig into what it means to be a people who celebrate so that joy can anchor us to the bigger story that God has been writing. I mean, there's more than just my little thing that's going on here. There's more than just my, my tragedy or my hardship or all of the things in my house that need repaired. There's joy in the midst of all of it. Why? Because 2 Corinthians says Jesus makes all things new. Revelation 21 says He is making all things new. He's making them new. So the discipline of celebration is really about choosing joy. And John says it this way, you can become a joyful person. With God's help, it really is possible. The biblical writers would not command it if it were not so, but joyfulness is a learned skill. You must take responsibility for your joy. Not your friend, not your parent, not your spouse, not your kids, not your boss. Your joy is your responsibility. Now, true celebration, he goes on to say, is the inverse of hedonism. Hedonism is the demand for more and more pleasure for personal gratification. It always follows the law of diminishing returns. So that what joy produced, what produced joy in us yesterday no longer does today. Our capacity for joy diminishes. Celebration is not like that. When we celebrate, we exercise our ability to see and feel goodness in the simplest gifts of God. We are able to take delight today in something we wouldn't have even noticed yesterday. Our capacity for joy increases. So, how do we pursue joy? Well, if you're a list person, here you go. First, begin now. Begin now. Now, today, we started the, the service with this, Psalm 18, 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We have to stop living in the illusion that something has to change for me to have joy. The idea that I have to graduate, I have to have kids, I have to own a home, I have to retire, I have to get a clear medical bill of health, I have to have this, I have that. I can choose joy today. Why? Because this is the day God made. It's a day that Christ's death has redeemed. I can choose joy today. And if I don't choose joy today, I never will choose joy. Back to the idea that there's tragedy and there's hardship. I love that John brings out in the book people like Mother Teresa, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who worked among people that were facing unbelievable injustice, the Jews who were being killed. He stood up against the Nazi regime, the, the poor and the outcast. Mother Teresa began to gave her life. And yet these two people are filled with joy. 
Because true joy, as it turns out, comes to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than just their own personal happiness. Joy is not about just me being happy. It's about celebrating that God's at work. And so I can celebrate God's at work when everything in my life isn't as I would hope it to be. I can see God there. So if we do not rejoice today, I don't think we'll ever rejoice. If we wait till conditions are perfect, we'll be waiting till we die. If we're going to rejoice, it has to be today. So start now. Number two, find a joy mentor. A joy mentor. I bet every single one of us have people in our lives who carry joy around with them. You might think they're a little mm, crazy even because you're like, why are those people always happy? It's like they deny reality. Maybe they're just choosing joy in the midst of their reality. Prize those people. Don't run away from them. Thank them. Because when you spend time with someone who is a joyful person, they generally breathe fresh life into you. Thank them for that. And spend time with them. And this is very important because not only do all of us have people in our lives who produce joy, we also all have other people in our lives who have chosen to reject joy. They have chosen to live life as a perpetual victim of everything. They are what some people refer to as joy suckers. They are what John Ortberg refers to as black holes. And they are in our lives. He gives an illustration of one of them. A farmer had a neighbor, a constant complainer, a wet blanket in the linen closet of life. And the farmer decided to impress this man for once in his existence. So he bought the world's greatest hunting dog. He trained it thoroughly, and then he invited his joyless friend to go hunting. He showed the neighbor how his dog could stand motionless for an hour and pick up a scent a mile away. No response. From the blind, the farmer shot a duck, which landed in the middle of the pond. Upon command, the dog trotted out, walking on the surface of the water, retrieving the bird, and dropped it at the feet of his master. What do you think of that? The farmer challenged his neighbor. To which his friend responded, your dog can't swim, can he? <laughs> no matter what, some of these people in our lives are going to always see what's wrong. They are the joy-destroying people. Now, here's the thing. We're not to run away from them. We're to love them. We're to actually try to help them experience joy, not by pointing out that they're not joy-filled, because that will not work. Let me just tell you. But we have to be careful as we spend time with them not to let them shape us. Not that we get sucked into their negativity, but we get negative about their negativity. And then we try to correct them, and then we get sucked into the black hole. We may need to limit the time we spend with them, and we certainly need to restrain their ability to sway our hearts. Okay? We need to spend more time with people like Proverbs 15.30. Smiling faces make you happy. So spend time with people who smile. 
find them. And if they run away from you, ask them if you have a problem. <laughs> Number three, set aside a day of the week. Set aside a day of the week to celebrate. John says, eat foods that you love to eat. Listen to music that you love to listen to. Put music on and dance around the house. I don't care what it is. I mean, I love, the other day as I was preparing for this, I'm like, well, if I ever want to just get happy, country music kind of does that. I mean, I I feel like I'm confessing my sin in front of all of you. Um, It just does. I mean, it's hard to listen to country music. Not all of it. Some of it's depressing. Some of it, you know, you lost your house and your wife and your dog and your car. You have to have the right playlist, okay? If you need a right playlist, you come see me. And <laughs> But there's something about it that just makes you happy. But I was at school, and I'm like, I, can't, I, I really can't play country music in my office at school today. So here's what I did. Pentatonics Christmas. I mean, there's something about Pentatonics Christmas music that just, I don't know, it's hard to be in a bad mood when you listen to it. So I put it on, and it's amazing the way it changes your mood. Do that regularly. Whatever your style of music is that just makes you smile, it's not about denying reality. It's about choosing joy in the midst of reality. Play a sport that you like. Read a book that you like. Wear clothes that make you happy. If it's red and green shoes, put them on. Whatever makes you happy, celebrate. Find a way to have joy in the midst of what is happening. But, this is a big but. In the midst of it, recognize the goodness of God in it. Give thanks to Him for it. Give thanks to Him as the gracious giver of every good gift. Celebrate Him. It's not just about having a good time and just trying to put a smile on your face. It's about celebrating God in the things that make you smile. The Bible says every good gift comes from God. He loves to give good gifts to his children. One of the quotes from the book that you might disagree with, I didn't put it on the screen, but in general, John says, I believe we have underestimated the importance of pleasure in spiritual formation. Think about it. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, the apostle Paul is preaching to the church and to the the unbelievers in Athens, not the church at all, <laughs> Un- total unbelievers, people that have never heard the gospel at all. And he doesn't walk in and say, you know, you guys think you're so smart and you think you have all of this knowledge and you're, you think your poets are so smart. Your poets don't know nothing. That's not what he does. In Acts 17, 28, he says, in God, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, the phrase, in him we live and move and have our being, is actually a Cretan philosopher that he's quoting. And the Athenians would have known that. So he quotes their poets, he quotes uh, a Cretan philosopher as he's presenting the gospel to them. He finds what's good in what they're doing and he celebrates it. And then he points them to the gospel. We as the church think we always have to tell people everything they're doing wrong. We always have to tell people that's a dead end. And we can't find anything good in the person we're talking to to say that's God's stamp of approval on your life. God gave you that gift. Wow, that poem you wrote, that song you wrote, because we can't get past the fact that they swore in it. Yeah, they're not cleaned up yet. But celebrate the goodness, the gift of God in their life And we get better at that when we celebrate the goodness of God on a regular basis. 
Number four, he tells us, unplug for a week. Obviously, you've recognized it's an older book because he talks about television and the, the terribleness of television and the statistics involving television. And if it was more of a modern book, he would talk about the, the uh, dangers of screen time and our cell phones. And so when he talks about unplugging, he talks about no one ever sits in front of the TV all night and watches from, you know, after supper all the way through the, the news and, and it walks away saying, wow, I just feel refreshed now. And yet, that's what we do, because we're tired, and I can't do anything else, and so I'm just going to veg here. Or we binge on Netflix, and we're like, wow, I just feel refreshed in the Lord today, now don't I? No, we usually feel heavier. And he's like, so just unplug for a week. Unplug, and see if it makes a difference. I mean, I didn't put the stats on the screen, you read it. Because here's the thing, we all know that the algorithms are against us. If you don't know that yet... You are living under a rock because we know that not just Facebook, all of them, all media outlets, they're using the algorithms against us to inflict, to cause, to incite emotion, anger, happiness, lust, greed, whatever emotion. They are trying to produce strong emotion in us and it is not for our good. So I'm not saying throw it away. But maybe unplug it for a week and see what it does. The reason that depression, anxiety, and suicide continue to rise might be linked to the negativity we consume day after day, moment after moment. Just unplug it. The, the last one that he gives us, discipline your mind to view life from a biblical perspective. Church, getting saved doesn't just automatically give us the mind of Christ in a practical way. I know we have it, but we don't always utilize it. And we spend most of our time walking through our day looking at life from a human perspective, not the biblical perspective. Now, we do from a biblical perspective of morality. Well, that's right, that's wrong, that's good, that's evil. But not from the thought that, not from the escalatog... Whew! eschatological, thank you Jesus, not from that perspective. When we say that word eschatological, a lot of us think, um, you know, everything's going to burn someday, everything's going to be destroyed, so we got to just get away from it all. That's not necessarily true when you look at the Bible from start to finish. God is in the process of restoring, redeeming, making all things new. When he says that there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, there's no Greek word for a renewed different from the word brand new. So we don't know for sure if God's going to do a brand new world or if he's just going to renew this world. If you look at the, the vision that Ezekiel has about the water flowing out from the temple and you think about us having living water flowing out from us, the temple, and that everywhere that water goes, it produces life. It brings life. It restores life. Brand new. God doesn't have to destroy this world and start over. He is more than able to totally renew this one. That's the kind of God he is. And so rather than focusing on everything that's wrong and focusing on everything that's going to one day burn up, maybe we should view everything through the resurrection. Maybe we should view everything through the ultimate triumph of Christ and focus on God's redemption of the earth and not his destruction of it. All the time. 
So for the month of November, here's some thoughts. I put them on the screen for you. Practice the discipline of celebration. Once a week, do something that you enjoy. Invite others to do something that you enjoy. But don't be mad if their enjoyment level is not the same as yours in that area. But maybe do something that someone else enjoys. Because you might actually find you like bringing them joy. Once a week, pursue joy each day. Find joy each day. Find a joy mentor. Find someone that just always seems to have a smile on their face and get to know them and get to know why they live that way. Pray for joy. But to pray for joy, you have to admit that you need it. And there's nothing wrong with going before the Lord. I have to do this. And saying, God, I am prone to see everything that's wrong the moment I walk into a room. And I don't want to do that. I want to start seeing the things that are right. I want to start seeing the things that are good. One of the things that I loved about Pastor John when he was here is he forced me to live this way. This was one of the things that he helped draw out of me. And I, as I was contemplating this, I was actually sitting in my office today with a cup of coffee realizing how much I miss him because he draws that out of me. Because he reminds me that I don't have to, I, there could be 10 things wrong and one thing right. You can choose the one right thing and, and focus on that. Not every time. Yep, sometimes you got to point out some things that are wrong. Get it, got it. I, I have no problem with that. Having problems just celebrating the one thing that somebody got right. Set aside that one day a week to celebrate. Unplug from media for a week. Discipline your mind to view life from a biblical perspective. I challenge you, read chapter 4. Read it twice. Read it three times. Don't move on to chapter 5. Read chapter 4. Read chapter 4 again. Do the study guide. Look up the scriptures. Read scriptures on joy. Read them over and over again. Don't move on because we need to practice celebrating. Share with others what you find. Share on Slack. Share on our Facebook page. Take a video of your family flossing and put it on our church Facebook page. Hey, hey, and challenge other families to do it too. Huh. Churches don't do stuff like that. We just meet for prayer meetings. And we will in January. That's If you've looked ahead, you know that's when we'll talk about it. But let's get good at celebrating. Let's just get good at being a people that like to have because some of the victory you need in your life might come from the discipline of celebration, not the discipline of fasting. And we need to know the difference. And so, Father, I pray for us as a body. God, that you would teach us this discipline of celebration. <laughs> oh, God, we need to know that even in the midst of all of the hardship and difficulty and pain and tragedy and yuck of our world, that even in the midst of all of that, you are good. And you are working all things for good. God, that you are fully committed to finishing the work that you started. When you created this world and you declared it is good, God, you are fully committed to the recreation of what is good. And you announced it. Your kingdom is here. 
It's at hand. You did everything to make it possible. Jesus, you died, you, you were buried, you rose again to give us life so that we could be your temple, so that rivers of living water could flow out from us, so that everywhere we go, we could bring joy into the room. We could bring love into the room. We could bring peace into the room. We, we don't have to bring somberness. We can actually bring joy. And so, Holy Spirit, help us as a church to acknowledge where we need your work in our lives. Father, if any of us are the joy suckers, help us to acknowledge it. Help us to admit our own criticalness, our own grumbling, our own fault finding. God, help us to confess it to you so that you can skim it off of our lives and replace it with joy. Holy Spirit, we need your help. As we go through this week, this month ahead, we're going to do things to try to practice this discipline of celebration. But ultimately, true joy doesn't come from practicing celebration. It comes from you. And so help us to be aware of your work in our lives, even in the hard days. God, when we're at work and we're overwhelmed by frustration, when we're overwhelmed by the things that other people haven't done, God, help us in the midst of that moment to see where you are. God, to celebrate joy even in that. So help us as a church. Help us to learn the discipline of celebration over this month ahead. God, help us to be joy mentors for people around us, people in our workplace, people in our homes, people in our neighborhoods. May we be marked and set apart by the joy in our life. So Holy Spirit, give us grace for that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we go through this month ahead, I challenge you, interact with each other through Slack, through social media, through real life conversation. And let's practice celebration as we go through this month ahead. The discipline of celebration. Amen? All right. God bless you as you go today. Celebrate.